Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we are finally returning to The Matrix. To The Matrix. Our first ever episode we recorded was The Matrix. Now, me and Jamie just about had a WrestleMania-sized throwdown <laughs> uh, regarding the quality and possible worthiness of the sequels to be discussed and it had always been on the schedule had kind of shuffled around a little bit now when we had our good friend sam had come in and, and co-hosted with us we've been bouncing ideas off of him so he he got a couple free throws onto the schedule where he came later on so these kind of got bumped off well, with some things happening we've placed them back on so i'm i'm really excited to get into the oh I think we're taking the red pill tonight. Getting uh, back, getting back uh, into the Matrix. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that later. But yeah, the we're definitely getting back into. The, now it was such an, a crazy universe created here by the Wachowskis. And it was kind the of unforeseen. I, I don't, I don't think they were prepared for how how big the Matrix was going to hit uh, when it came out. And so, I, I don't think there were sequels planned. I think when the Wachowskis made the original movie, I don't think that they really were thinking sequels yeah it was a very very clean ending and, and like you said i don't think there was much planned afterward because i don't think anybody knew what to make of this yeah. you know when i think of you know the the original matrix you know it was revolutionary in so many ways you know it was this it, almost a technological successor to orwell and huxley this dystopian type of society along with very much Terminator types of things, you know, where the machines have taken over, but instead of killing us, they're just pretty much placating us with our own sense of importance. Uh, so so it, was, it was pretty interesting in terms of, of themes, especially in the first movie. You know, it, it kind of, you know, grabbed you, and it, it took you somewhere, I think, in, in terms of cinema that we hadn't ever been before. But also in the, in the filmmaking. I mean, it was a technical, technological achievement itself, yeah. like the bullet time and the... And um, just some of the, the technology that they created to mm-hmm. make that movie. I mean, it was it was unique not just in the storytelling, but also in the filmmaking of it. Yeah, the computer animations, you know, going back and forth, uh, especially you know, like you're talking about the bullet time. You know, they uh, had effects there. But what a lot of people don't realize, I mean, that was uh, hundreds of cameras, you know, set up in a sequence, and they would fire off screen, you know, shot by shot, and and work that uh, into the. The, the filmmaking there, and it really showed you a, a, how speed and the frenetic pace and what these people's and computer programs could do interacting in this world. I, mean, I know Sam had threw out some names, Orwell and, and some of those. I always think of Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. when I think of this, and uh, you know, it's just this just, just off-the-wall concept of you know, people being a battery and you know, what is the real world. Right. Well, and, and, and two, um, there's not been a lot of good movies made from this guy's work, but uh, William Gibson, I think, mm-hmm. was a really big influence yeah, on the Matrix uh, movies, too. But um, they've made a few William Gibson movies. They're not very good. Uh, <laughs> Keanu was in one of them. Do you remember? Um, I'm blanking is now. Is Scanner Darkly? No. no. Uh, that, that, is a, that is a Philip K. Dick uh, story. Okay, I thought that. Yeah, that um, what's the one where Johnny Mnemonic? Okay, that was a William it. Gibson story. Okay, and it, okay. you can see that the kind of connections there, the cyberpunk kind of feel. Right. The Matrix does a lot with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> well, you know when you, you you mentioned you know Philip K. Dick, you know 
do androids dream of electric sheep that blade runner was based off of mm-hmm. you know it definitely has that kind of feel of where do people end and machines begin and you know where does technology set in our lives and i think that was almost the commentary from the first movies yeah. now the sequels on the other hand We'll have to get into that and yeah. talk about that. I do. Th- I do think it's worth noting that we, in introducing an episode about the Matrix sequels, we spent almost all of our introductory time talking about the first Matrix. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, spoilers, Jamie. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but now these movies were very interesting as well because they came out relatively close together. The the, the first Matrix was what ninety nine. Uh, these both come out six months apart in two thousand three. I was I was uh, doing some research to find the dates to put out here, and I thought it was like one one year and one the next year. I knew they were close, but I thought they had had that spread. And it was both in the year 2003. Hmm. They were filmed uh, sequentially uh, at the same time. They were, you know, intertwined with uh, the Animatrix uh, release uh, of the uh, animated shorts disc. They were also released with a video game, Enter the Matrix, which mm-hmm. kind of told a side story uh, along with the adventures here, leading up with the uh, with uh, some of the characters, uh, the key maker and such. And I think that was a big uh, draw for um, Jada Pinkett. I think she was the main character in Enter the Matrix, right? Yes, she was. Yeah, you okay. you followed her as she kind of led a, yeah. a, a, a like a distraction a thing and, an, and another side project to get uh, allow them to have the time to get there. You know what I find really interesting though is that you know Will Smith was approached to play Neo originally. So if Will Smith had played Neo and Jada Pinkett had been Niobe, they could have met a lot earlier. You know. <laughs> well, I've, I've got thoughts about that because I don't think Will Smith is the right guy to play Neo. I'm a big Will Smith fan. Mm-hmm. I don't He's know the, great. Yeah, I don't know that The Matrix is the same movie and the same kind of cultural phenomenon if right. it's not Keanu Reeves in that role. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. His um, he is a great, uh, you know, blank slate character for us to latch on to <clears throat> and experience this journey through. He is, you know, he very easy to empathize with. He he, you know, has you can tell his emotions right right on top, and uh, he's just you know a a good gateway drug almost you know into this. And he was the right answer. You know, you know and as we've talked about in. <clears throat> other episodes you know he loves classic kung fu movies and so this gave him an opportunity to to really kind of embed some of that within the character of neo i think and you get a lot more kung fu in uh, in reloaded and revolution yes we'll get to it because that's uh, what we are talking about tonight yeah that's we're not talking (laughs) about the original matrix i know sam was absent uh, famously for i was original uh, matrix recording uh, i was listening I was listening. And, uh, he, he was yeah, he was here in spirit, but uh, we, he didn't have him a microphone at the time. But yeah, the uh, the reloaded and revolutions, uh, you know, they expand upon and just take that concept of what we can do in a machine, what a machine is capable of, what is real, what's not real, and a really intense look at free will. I, th- I think is is one of the biggest parts of these sequels. Is, is the viewpoint of what choices do we have? What's our destinies? What, how do we, and can we even affect those? Okay. I, I, we, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that they really um, 
I don't know. I'll get to that. I've I've got thoughts in fan and pan. So we'll, we'll okay. We'll, okay. We'll get to I it. think we we'll, probably we'll, all do because yeah. It, yeah. these two movies and honestly they go back and forth and, and they're very divisive. And and yeah, even within a single scene, mm-hmm. I could find something I liked and something I was like, man, I just don't know. And I think and I think there are things that are handled thoughtfully and well, and other things that are clumsy really and, and not handled well. Yes, it gets muddy. Entirely. Yeah. Okay. So, gentlemen, are we ready for some grades? Yeah, we've then? talked around this thing enough. Yeah, let's grab some grades. Um, so, so who who wants to uh, take the lead on this? So I'll, I'll go first because I, I need to um, revise you, my. You estimate. look like you've got something off your chest. Uh, well, I, I feel like I've been unfair. Um, I'm the Matrix is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's probably next to Big Trouble in Little China, the movie I've rewatched the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still a part of me that resents that they didn't stop. Um, it's nearly a perfect movie with an amazing ending. And so there's a part of me that still resents these movies for existing. Um, and I feel like if, you, if, we, if I have to hold them together as a trilogy and treat them as one story, that it kind of brings down even the first movie's quality. And I don't like that part of them. But just take in, so we're, but we're not doing that tonight. We're talking about the Matrix sequels. And so, so when I just look at them individually, um, I feel like I've been unfair to them. I don't think that they're not as bad as I've bashed them in pre-show <laughs> meetings and on, and on the mic. Um, they're not terrible movies. Um, they're not um, the groaners that I've, I've treated them as. They're, they're, they're good. They're enjoyable. Um, they're fine. They're, they're, they've got a lot more flaws than the first movie. Um, but I still struggle with my grade because there's parts of this, as I, as I rewatched them this time, the things that annoyed me before, I found even more annoying this time, but the things that I thought were okay before, I found myself enjoying much more this time. And so I feel like it's even more internal tension than I even thought before. So I'm, I, so I'm, I'm, I've been sitting between a C plus and a B minus. Um, but I think just in terms of how unfairly I've, I feel like I've treated these movies, I'm going to go B minus. B minus for James. Yeah, B minus. I, I, I just I, I struggle though because how much I love the first movie yeah. and resent these things for existing. You know, I don't want there to be more, and so I I, th- I think it makes me unfair, and so I'm gonna go B minus. And that was too much preamble. I'm sorry. Oh no, you're you're, <laughs> you're fine. And uh, and uh, you know, please please you know discuss your thoughts here. Um, Sam, uh, I know the school year is in full swing, yes. so I know you've got your red pin out. Um, oh. How how are the marks here? Jim? You know, was this a pass or fail? You know, I'm going to be once again and, and very similar to what Jamie said. Okay, and actually, I just I turned my my <laughs> iPad here and showed him what I've got in my grade, and it looked exactly what he just said. Okay. Uh, and what I find. Yeah, uh, what uh, he just showed me his. Uh, but so uh, what I was thinking was, you know, and I'm going to pull a little bit of a cheat here. And I hear all about cheating on graphically novels. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pull my my nerds of the roundtable cheat. If I look at these movies on their own and simply as science fiction, it's good science fiction. Mm-hmm. I would give it a B minus. If I look at them at the sequel as sequels to the Matrix, it's a C plus. Okay. <laughs> I'm cheating. <laughs> Take that as you want, dear listener. C plus. 
<laughs> if you had the same last name as me, like on my other podcast, I would give you our time about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I, I think we're all more on the same page uh, with with these movies uh, than we thought we would be because I'm I'm in the same neighborhood you guys are. I'm gonna go C plus, and I've I've mm-hmm. been C plus for a long time on these movies. Now I know these are movies that I revisit a lot just for the action. Uh, there's things I love. There's things I dislike about these movies. But uh, you know, there's some great, great things here, and there's some things that I'm not that big of a fan of. And, and just like Jamie said it perfectly, there were things that were really well thought out, really well executed, and then there were things not so much, and and could have been explained, answered a lot better. So uh, I'm going C plus as well. Yeah, there's there's things in here where, where like that was pretty smart the way you did that. And those things like. You think you're smarter than yeah. you really are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like you see the sausage being yeah. being made. You see, it, you know, it could have been good, but then you see, you know, the, the wrapping going on. Yeah. So I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, that was our opening thoughts and grades, gentlemen. Before we go into our pan and fan segments, I have to ask you: take the blue peel. Or the red pill. Willcon, September 28th at the Southside Mall in South Williamson, Kentucky, featuring special guest Christine Thompson, lead writer of Destiny 2 and Star Trek Online. Come out for a day of creativity, celebrating all things pop culture, video games, board and card games, cosplay, comics, and a host of other media and art. That's September 28th at the Southside Mall, South Williamson, Kentucky. And we're back, and we're going to give some fans here first. And we're not going to use the uh, the titles I was workshopping last time. Um, these are not the fannies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so we're going to start we're gonna, we're gonna start off on the positive foot here. Um, I think we all have very mixed opinions about um, the the flaws and the qualities here. So I think we're going to have definitely have some stuff for, in both, both segments for fan and pan. Um, who wants to go first on fan? All right, um, I'm going to kind of throw out okay. one. One thing I really did like about this is, you know, the first movie. I, I love it. You know, we talked about that. You know, at, at length already. You know, but it feels like this is a very small group. And starting with Reloaded, we see that this is a larger movement. This is just not this small kind of rebel group here. We're, we're looking at a, a huge society of people who have, you know, are fighting against this. And I thought that gave it more, kind of more power, more, um, I guess, importance than it was just, you know, like I said, this one ship. And this one group of people on the ship. Yeah, it was really neat uh, to see how much of a larger universe this was. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that's one thing that we've always, and here's our Star Wars mention of the week. I know we always talk about how Star Wars always shrinks the universe. Well, now they did a really good job of expanding the universe in the computer realm to me. I really loved all of the different characters, the way they interacted, their different missions or different viewpoints. Um, and you know the different characters were just just killer. You know Jada Pinkett Smith that I was mentioned earlier. You have uh, I know one uh, famous cameo was the boxer Roy Jones Jr. You know was yeah was um, in there. Maybe he should stay in the ring though. 
Yeah, maybe you will. That was uh, you know the, some of the acting was not as uh, as uh, good as it could have been. This wasn't the same cast as the first movie. <clears throat> you didn't you didn't have guys as good as Joey Pants in the side roles. Exactly. Um, but now, uh, you know, I love also the um, the introduction of the Merovingian mm-hmm. and the uh, the vampiric and the werewolf and the ghost characters, uh, you know, how they were in an earlier iteration of the Matrix to kind of keep people in line. And, you know, that's kind of where legends and stuff come from. I love the history they brought in there, and I love that character and how he still kind of was tinkering and had his fingers in everything. Well, I, I, I mean, there's there's flaws in it too, but I did I, it sort of connected. I wanted to talk about the world building. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's a couple of little annoying bits, even in that. I'm like, mm, I don't know about part of this, yeah. but the but seeing Zion and how Zion functions, um, seeing nooks and crannies of the Matrix that we didn't see before, um, it was nice. I mean, it was it was most of it most of it was really well done. Um, and I one of the angles that I especially I just want to call it one thing. Like we just see the one ship, we just see um, the Nebuchadnezzar in the first movie, and it, you kind of feel like they're alone. Like you were mentioning mm-hmm. that, and then we see more ships later, but they're still different. Like, like mm-hmm. Morpheus is the religious fanatic, and the rest of them all don't share his faith, and so they're still distinct. Well, when they come back to Zion, you hear um, Link's uh, wife and family. You know, so you yeah. know, the, the other ships have been home two or three times. You know, while you guys have been out here the whole time. He says, you know, Morpheus runs a different ship. You know, Morpheus runs a different ship. So that was, you know, there, you see the big difference there and how dedicated and how devoted and how much of a, like you said it perfectly, a fanatic that Morpheus was. I really, the, the thing I enjoyed about Zion was how they still used the connection to uh, the, the computer to manage the things around the city that, that worked out. You know, and, and, of course, it was probably their own separate server, but how they would use the computers to open and close the doors. And then you see the people in the chairs, you know, and then it cuts to the, the, the Matrix world, and they're in this pristine white room, you know, and they're all perfect. But one thing really neat was when they would disarm the um, the weaponry in front of the door and would open the door. You had a guy in the mech would walk over and stand there with his guns up and wait until the door closed back. And everything else was, was uh, you know, shut down. But you mentioned the computers, but like, I noticed too, like, Everything that they could do without using a computer, they, they did, did without using a computer. Yes. You, notice when, you notice when Council uh, Councilor Harmon takes Neo down into the guts of Zion. It's all mechanical, but there's not a computer inside. Mm-hmm. It's all like pistons and gears pumping. It's not computer stuff. And so they they did is like there's like they have an allergy to computers. They're doing everything they can to avoid having any contact with a computer. That was an interesting little aspect of the world building too. You know, and and kind of tacking onto that, you mentioned how Morpheus, you know, was, was kind of that fanatic type of character. You know, that's kind of developed here. You know, in in the first movie, I mean, Neo's looking for him, and and he's held in high regard within these groups of people that are searching for Morpheus. He's known for this, but then we get him here in Zion, and he's not held in such high esteem with everyone. You know, mm-hmm. Commander Locke, you know, played by Harry Lennox, who I just, I think is a great actor anyway. Uh, you know, you can see a, a definite kind of distinction between Locke's hardline approach 
and Morpheus, very apropos name, the dreamer. You know, so I, I liked that idea. His name to me came came to have more meaning in these movies because we see that that he's almost the religious zealot yeah. in some ways. Yeah, very much so. And and even Neo is almost a messianic. You know, figure even in. You can pull the almost off of that statement. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, that's true. But but I mean, he even dies in a crucifixion pose. But uh, speaking of uh, Counselor Harmon, I love this actor. Uh, My introduction to him came in the phenomenal piece of movie art. Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. He was kind of the mad scientist there. When I seen him pop back up on screen, I was like, "Oh my God, it's him!" You know, it was so. Uh, that was a, a great thing to see him again. I hadn't seen him in much, but uh, all right. If you remember in the first uh, the first movie, there's the white rabbit that yep. Neo had to follow. Yes. All right. Cancelo Harmon is a is a white rabbit. I want us to follow right now. I just got a little rabbit trail to chase for a second. Please. It really felt like in the Matrix Reloaded. They were setting him up to be kind of a villainous, ominous kind of a, role. A bit more. And then in the Matrix Revolutions, he's barely in it and nothing comes of that. Because it really feels like there's like this threatening sort of ominous overtones when they're mm-hmm. down in the bottom of Zion. Like Harmon knows something. Yeah. And they start talking, and they start talking about the, uh, the other the ones, which I don't think that that's how math works. But uh, when there's other the ones, I was wondering, if, was Harmon the last one before Neo? Right, and he was like just had lived long enough that he was an old man now, and, and but they never do anything with it. It's like they were setting up something there, and then never and never got there, which is weird because right. they filmed them all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah, that was a storyline, and and he could have been a much much bigger character. Yeah, um, I was curious about that. I was wondering if y'all had any thoughts about that because I felt like Council Hartman was supposed to be something, and then never did anything with him. Yeah, I think uh, they really focused on Morpheus and Locke's uh, conflict there uh, a little bit more than than I appreciated. Do you think uh, there's probably some cut scenes there? Oh, I'm sure there is yeah. because you know, and you know, they filmed these two movies all together, so I'm sure that they filmed. There's probably nine hours of footage, you know, of, of story here because there are gaps. Yeah. In in the story, you know, there there are holes there. There's, there's things that don't hold together too. Yeah. All right. We're still we're still fanning though. Yeah, we're not we're, the fans. Yes, yes. Fanning. Okay, okay. I do have to throw this out because there is one thing I'm a huge fan of in this. Okay. Okay. Two words. Gina Torres. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Zoe we shows up. Love seeing Zoe. Yep. Okay. Great. And, and as you all know, I'm a recent convert to uh, to Firefly. <laughs> so anytime I see anybody connected to Firefly, I automatically like yes. It's a beautiful thing. So so Gina Torres was just. It was a very small part, really, but it was just great to see her on screen. Yeah. Of course, my, my question is, if you've got Gina Torres auditioning for you, how does she not end up being Z with yeah. a bigger role? Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. just curious about that. Um, not, not that the lady who played Z was a bad actress, but like you got Gina Torres mm-hmm. in your in your room auditioning with you. How do you not give her a bigger role? Exactly. Um, yeah, she was she was great in this as in everything I've seen her in. She's been phenomenal. Uh, a thing I'm a huge fan of in the concept, especially not necessarily that it was played out so well, was the keymaker. I love the concept that you've got a program, you know, in these in this computer that, you know, the doors can be different things by by his interaction. You know, the different mm-hmm. keys he makes with them. He just is just all day making keys and. Uh, 
if you've played the video game, Enter the Matrix, a friend of mine did, and I sort of hung out and watched along like the movie because I was no good at it. Um, but that's one of the things is you interact with the key maker. And when you go in there in the video game, he's there's no keys in the workshop. There's very few. There's just a couple hanging here and there. And then when you go into it in the Matrix, and it's just completely loaded with keys. So mm. you see what he's been doing those last few days or weeks or whatever. He just these massive amounts of keys. And uh, that was a really neat uh, concept, you know, in that computer world, you know, where things can be anything. And, uh, you know, uh, who's, who's, the, who's the character? Uh, uh, there's a comedian, uh, uh, kind of, I think it's Salvador Dali, and he says, you know, it's a shame how much possibility the world has that never happens. How often, you know, do I go to a restaurant and order a lobster and they bring me a flaming phone book? You know, there's, it's so sad if what could happen never does. Uh, well, another thing I was a fan of that um, I just want to mention uh, we don't have to do much with but like I just love that this is a thoughtful movie and it makes you think like a lot of like science fiction action type movies <laughs> there's not much like you know there's not philosophy in it there's not yeah. thoughtful stuff it doesn't leave you right. thinking and it, and even though I don't love these movies the way I do um, the first one there's I mean there's still things about this, this mm-hmm. these two movies that I still think about like the relationship to um, the machine world and the human world, like exactly. bridging them. Like, what what were the Wachowskis thinking? You know, what was the point there? And I, I still think about that from time to time. And it's you don't get that from a lot of movies these days. No, um, no even no. movies that I enjoy, I don't they don't leave me thinking. And so even if I don't agree with everything in this movie, even if I don't hold to the same philosophy that's in this movie a lot, I still appreciate that they it's a thoughtful movie and it mm-hmm. leaves stuff to chew on. Yeah, um, we don't get that a lot. Yeah, and they do it in a really neat way that's not like some of your movies now that do have a message tend to will beat you over the head with it. These are questions that are posed here and left for us, the audience, to have an intelligent thought instead of saying, this is what you need to think, this is what you need to think. And I really appreciate that. And like you're talking about, our relationship with machines, our view of ourselves, our view of our world, what is real. And I know uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, but the free will is a huge thing in these movies. And, and that's and it's something that I've you know spent a great deal of time thinking on and, and dwelling on. You know, what are our destinies and what choices do we have in our destinies in our life? You know? And uh, in the first movie, I mean, they, they're, they're playing, they're tinkering a little bit um, between the first movie and these sequels. There's some tinkering going on. Oh, a lot. Oh, yeah. But like, it's so in the first movie, we just have the Oracle. And she's this absolute, you know, authority, this resource. Well, in in these sequels, we've got a sort of a counterpoint. And so we've got the Merovingian who disagrees with the Oracle and is pushing back. And so we've got that added level of, of you know, questioning. Like, yeah. is it all cause and effect and there's no actual free will? It's all, you know, control and power. Or, I mean, so there's got that, that contrast. And you I, also I, have I like the that. third. You also have the third view there of the absolute, the architect, yeah. mm-hmm. who is, you know, dominating and controlling everything. And is just saying this is the way things are going to be. This is how it is, and it's always been this way. And this is what's going to happen. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I'll, I'll leave the floor for you guys. I've only got one last thing on my fan list here, and it's the um, the Neo Trinity relationship. Mm-hmm. I just—I love those two on screen together. They've got great chemistry, and I when that when they're together, I believe that they care about each other. I believe that relationship. Yeah. yeah. And so when there's the the things that the, the flaws when they start annoying me when Things don't always hold together the way they should. I still believe those two. And everything they do towards each other, I believe 
like the sincerity of it. Yeah. So I think that's strong. It's a genuine relationship, and I think it comes across as that. Um, You know, back to, you know, we were talking about this idea of making you think. And, you know, when Jamie, you mentioned about them saying the ones, right? And, you know, we think of one in the Arabic as just a single thing, but think of binary code. It's all zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. And if this is a computer-based program, there are other ones. That's what it made made me think about at least. And that's why, you know, to me, it it made a very interesting kind of situation with Agent Smith and Neo, where Neo was the one and Smith kept replicating to become the many. So you've got the one versus the many again. And so it, it's back to that idea. And like I said, these are the things I was thinking about I'm, I'm, because I thought the same thing. How come the other ones, if he's the one, you know, then I thought, okay, what about binary code? It's zeros and ones. And so he's the ones, Smith is the zeros. The which, yeses and nos. Which I think they dropped the ball on something there. There's something they could have done more with they didn't. Because they said that he was the sixth one, right? Mm-hmm. He was the sixth one, one of the ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm bad at math, but I know that doesn't work. <laughs> but it, from the way they portrayed that, he was the first of the ones that could interact with the machines outside the Matrix. Right. So there was, you're talking about the ones uh, that they had pulled through in that cycle. Yeah, inside, yeah. all those mm-hmm. other we saw we saw on those TV screens yes. inside there. But like, so he was fighting the squids outside. And he could interact with machines outside of the Matrix. And apparently, from the way it looked, he was the first one to do that. So there was something else going on there. It wasn't just the powers given to him by the architects. Something else, there was something different about Neo this time. Mm-hmm. And they never dealt with that. No. I'm like, that is such that was such an interesting concept that they just Yeah, they just dropped it. Dropped it. Yeah. I'm like, man, you missed the boat there. Yeah, um, I mean, talking about the, pl- the the pans we or the fans that we have here, the, the pluses. I mean, the actions in this. I mean, they're over the top. The freeway scene. I mean, how do you get better than that? I love the ghosts. You know, being able to materialize and disappear. You know, to go in and out of the cars or when they're fighting and stuff. Um, you know, it, it just. And I pulled my kids around. I was like, hey, guys, watch these two trucks crash, you know, when, when the tractor trailers <laughs> crash, you know, when they're fighting over the key makers. like just glorious and, and awesome um, you know, action. And in slow Which motion, you see all the ripples. Yeah. yeah, the ripples go through, yeah. the, go through the bodies. And, uh, Although there's, there's something I couldn't unsee this time. Um, I saw on IMDb, like, something about the sword moving. Yeah. But it was in the side of the van, of the, the truck. If you go back and watch it again... That sword is in a different place in the side of that truck every time they show it. And I can't not see it now. I keep watching the sword. I'm going to throw this in just because it's funny. So you're talking about the ghosts, right? The two ghost characters. Every time I see them, I think of Paul Schaefer. I can see that. I see Paul Schaefer in my head (laughs) every time. And I even will call them the Paul Schaefer twins when I'm in my head head space thinking about the movie. Oh, it's the Paul Schaefer twins. (laughs) Now, they they are actual twins who own a martial arts studio in Mm. L.A. is is how they found those two guys and and done them up there. Which, I mean, they were interesting, like, even the way they presented them. Because everybody else is usually dressed in super dark colors, but they're in white. they're in white almost. And instead of using a traditional weapon, like everybody else, they're using, like, little razor blades. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything with it. They didn't explain it, but, like, it made them so visually distinct. Not just their powers, but they were, like, unique, too. Very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were really neat uh, characters. 
um, of that. And yeah, the actions, you know, just being action movie is was great. Okay, so uh, we we fanned a bit there. So let's let's get out the skillet. What's our pan? All right, I've got one more thing I want to throw in as far as fan, and this is just a little thing. Uh, Captain Mifune in uh, in Revolutions. Okay, the 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 captain that goes down in the mech suit. Okay, (laughs) you know I talked about we get this feel for the old school like kung fu movies and stuff like that. To me, and I don't know this for sure, I've not, I couldn't find anything, but it's a direct nod to Kurosawa. Um, Toshiro Mifune is the actor that was in Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, oh, nice. Hidden Fortress. Right. Uh, so he was the actor. Awesome. Uh, and so to me, that was a nod to that. Kurosawa. And I just thought that was cool. I didn't yeah. catch that either. That's a great pull, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's a good character, too. Yes. He looked like Django Fett to me, though. Yeah, <laughs> I kept looking at him and thinking, "You look like Django Fett's dad." <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they missed a missed something there. They could have used. All right, so is it time for the skillet? Let's get the skillet. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, Hear I, that sizzling? <laughs> okay, I've got a big one. This isn't this isn't um, Ewok label. Um, this thing's bloated, though. I mean, huge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, every action scene goes on, like, three beats too long. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the freeway fight, it goes on too it long. It goes on a bit long. Um, the fight with the Merovingians' guards. A bit It's long. awesome until it goes on too long. And it starts, <laughs> a, a scene that cool shouldn't drag. That You shouldn't feel it dragging. Yeah. And even the fight with Seraph, you feel it going on too long. You could tell they were... Stretching the story into into two movies, yeah. yeah. Uh, this probably would have been more than one, you know, two two and a half hour movie. Yeah. But I think with a little bit of trimming, it could have been a really tight two and a half hour movie. Well, I mean, there's there's whole plot lines you could just pull out. Yeah, entirely. As much as the as much as the keymaker is a cool world building concept, it's just a fetch quest. You don't really need that extra story part. Yeah. You don't really need unless you're just unless you're just really intent on doing the philosophy stuff. Just, you don't really need the Merovingian. Just giving them something to do. Yeah, and we don't yeah. really need to spend that much time in Zion. Mm-hmm. We don't need a dance sequence that takes 15 minutes. You know? Yep. And so it's just bloated. And that that actually is one of my biggest pants in both movies. We have these strange, weird dance sequences. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah, I thought that in too, Zion. When I was watching it, I was like, I was, I put in Reloaded, and I was like, that was in the next movie. That wasn't in this movie when they had the big speech. But it was in both movies. Yeah. So one was in Zion. The other one was in the Merovingians Club. Okay. And, and all, every, all, as I watch it, the only thing I keep thinking is. Um, Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. This weird triptych that's so unsettling to look at and weird. When, and, and it just, it, that's all I keep thinking every time I see that those two scenes. And I'm like, why do we specifically need these scenes to go on for this long? You know, great. I'm glad Morpheus was a dancer. But, you know, <laughs> we didn't, that didn't pay off. So yeah. move well, on. Well, you why? know, Sam, rhythm is a dancer. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and actually, Hieronymus Bosch, and then eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we shall die is what I was thinking in my head. So. Yeah, there you go. But there's, but there's too much of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. not a fan of Zion. 
the concept was neat. I would have enjoyed a visit. I would have enjoyed seeing it, but they much. spent way too much time there. Well, and the whole the whole extra storyline with uh, with Dozer's sister and her boyfriend. Yeah, mm-hmm. we didn't need that really. I mean, that whole I mean, it was cool to see Gina Torres in, yes. <laughs> in Zion. Yeah, but we but didn't really. That, what did that really add to the story? Exactly. Other than to pad out the minutes. Yeah, and to say remember Tank. Yeah. You know, remember yeah, yeah. That there there wasn't a lot that shed a great deal of light that couldn't have happened somewhere else in place of, like Sam said, you know, a 15-minute dance scene, you know, or, you know, shave, you know, 30, 40 seconds off of a fight. Or five minutes off the Battle of Zion. Or, uh, that yeah, thing exactly. went on that went way too long. And actually, even with the Battle of Zion, we totally lost Neo mm-hmm. for 20, 25 minutes and and he's your 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 primary protagonist and yeah. where's he at for this huge chunk of movie? Exactly. We were almost in Tolkien novel. Yeah. Where, you know, where he took big chunks and just told, you know, all of Sam and Frodo's story. And then told all of Pippin and Mary's story. You know. It's kinda like what happened here. You just lose your protagonist and characters for huge chunks. And and really honestly, other than blinding Neo, what was the point of the Bane storyline? Of Smith getting into the into the real world, they didn't really do much with that except yeah. eat up more minutes in the count. Mm-hmm. And and that was a situation, like you said, about you know Neo being able to affect the machines outside of the Matrix. Now you have Smith affecting the real world outside of the Matrix. And if you were gonna do if you were gonna do that, you, you need to do more you with it. Needed to pad. Yep. They didn't you do more with to it. Fill both of those out and explain that more. Love seeing Hugo Weaving, one of my favorite guys, on screen. Okay, you brought up Hugo Weaving. We'll move to my next pan then. <laughs> I don't know what Hugo Weaving's doing in this movie. It's the weirdest acting he's done in his life. And I saw V for Vendetta. I mean, he's doing weird <laughs> stuff in this movie. Like his face is doing weird stuff. His line deliveries are just strange. I don't. It's like yeah. he was on LSD when they filmed this thing. Well, it's weird. I, I, I mentioned Tolkien earlier, and you have a million Agent Smiths now, so he's apparently feeling thin, you know, like butter spread around <laughs> yes, much bread. Yes, there you go. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, he's like really like way over the top, like in his performance. Now, I think – And uh, I just – I'm not – I don't know what movie he thought he was making. Well, now, I honestly uh, – and, and this is going to foreshadow something later. I mean, he's honestly one of my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, okay. Agent Smith is in, in both of them. I love you know what he did because he even at the beginning he says of the beginning of Reloaded, you know, he he hands the earpiece to the to the yeah. guy at the door. He says, "Tell tell Neo he set me free." So he is this rogue program now. Doesn't know quite what to make of the world. Doesn't know how to interact. So he's just replicating and taking over. And he's just in this madness state. Now, if now if they had been more explicit that that what Neo had done to him had unhinged him, yeah, that he was losing his grip on reality experience, I would have bought. Yeah, it's now, just a strange performance. Right, it, it was a strange performance, and that's I think where I took that. You know, yeah, what happened to him just completely shattered his concept of what reality was. So he's unhinged. You know, he's just a, a ecstatic, crazy person now, just taking over his freedom in the world. You know? See, if they had made that more explicit yeah. and clear in the movie, I'd have rolled with it. But it just felt like, okay, he, I've seen Hugo Weaving in lots of stuff. He's an amazing, amazing. actor. 
It's just the strangest performance in his career. It, it really was an <laughs> odd performance. And I think that's one of the things I liked most about it was just the oddity of it and just him flexing his weird muscle. Yeah, and I, I kind of looked at it the same way that, that Dwayne did. I just I thought of him at this point, he's more like a virus, okay. and he's spreading. And so as he's spreading, the program itself is breaking down. And that's kind of the way I looked at him and his portrayal in this one of Agent Smith. I, I kind of looked at it very similarly. See, I, I didn't catch that. I, I don't know if the, if the movie, maybe I was just thinking along different lines or something, but I, I, I didn't, movie didn't tell me that and I right. didn't catch that. Right. And so I just thought, what's Hugo Weaving doing? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that's one of the things that probably got lost. You know, to me, one of the big things in this that, that I throw out, you know, in, in that frying pan are just, you said it makes you think, and it does, and I agree. You know, you're thinking through both of these movies, you know, maybe on one level trying to figure out how this fits together or whatnot. But there's so many themes. Yeah. You know, Dwayne's mentioned the idea about predestination versus free will. But I think, you know, it's also religion versus humanity, technology versus these things. Uh, even they work in what I felt like were elements of the force. Yeah. You know, when Neo, Neo's blind and, he, and he's like, over there is the, you know, yeah. those are the droids we're looking for is what I was waiting for. him. <laughs> those are the squiddies we're looking for, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so there were so many themes. And yes, it made you think. Think, yeah. But you were trying to almost muddle through and go, okay, what exactly are they trying to tell me? What is it they want me to be able to do here mm -hmm. with this information? So that, that leads into my next pan um, because I don't like the, 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 the part of the story they changed because in the first movie it's clear that the conflict is between humanity and technology. Uh -huh. Right. Um, by the time they made the sequels, they, they no longer – like I think the Wachowskis had changed what they thought the conflict should be because then it's no longer humanity versus the machines in conflict. It's the humanity and the machines needing to be unified. And so that's why the Agent Smith character changed. They made yeah. that's why they that's why they made him come back and made him be what he is, because now he's a problem for the humans and the machines. And so they so no so the the Matrix isn't the enemy anymore. Agent Smith is the enemy. And right. so it changes the whole story. Yep. And so the Matrix that is the e the big evil looming over all of humanity in the first movie, they end up at peace with by the end. Mm -hmm. And not not just defeating, but joining. And they have to get rid of Smith. And so it, cha it changes the whole storyline. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that that is, a, like you said, a huge weakness. I think that it, it dilutes got, the story. It, story got lost in a big, bad way. Yeah, uh, yeah entirely. Um. I really was not a fan of them neutering the Oracle. Yeah. I, I liked what they did with the character, with her having a different form. Um, the uh, the original actress had passed away, you know, and then they used that as saying, you know, yeah, I had to make a sacrifice, and this is what it cost me, you know, and I had to, you know, be different, you know, and, and we do that in our lives, you know, we we, we experience things, and, and it changes us fundamentally. Um, and it did her, but you know, them removing her from her apartment. You know, was just not something that I was a fan of. Yeah, and uh, you know, and as much as I've I've spoke about you know the free will, and it's kind of like all she's talked to Neil about is her free will, and his and her interaction is so awkward because he's like, anything she mentions to him, he's not going to do just because, and then he right. ends up doing it anyway. Yeah, and like, and like yeah. the the cookie in the first movie, and then yeah. the and then the and candy, the in, candy this one, in this one. You know, one, yeah, exactly. you, you already knew I was going to take this, didn't you? Yeah. 
you know, and that whole kind of thing. But then we get to the Merovingian, and he's pushing back on that. You know, everything everything is people making decisions and then cause and effect. It's cause right. and effect. You know, one thing leading to another. Mm-hmm. And so I like how they. But I, I do I do think that she's a much cooler character. And yeah. much more powerful in the, character yeah. in the first movie. Yeah, they really weakened her. Yeah. So I like the philosophy, the, the idea sort of contest between her and the Merovingian. But I feel like it, I don't know I don't know if I would use the word neuter, but it um, it weakens her yeah. in a way that I don't, I don't think helps the story. Exactly. And um, I don't like what they do to Morpheus. Um, seeing Morpheus shaken and then struggling for the rest of the movie. It's a great performance by Lawrence Fishburne, but I, I think it kind of, I don't know the right term for this. It sucks the cool out of Morpheus. Yeah. I mean, because the, the conviction, that man of conviction, the exactly. power of his conviction was what made Morpheus such an, a, you know, a powerful character in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when he loses that, it's like, man, you're not, you're not what you were. And it, it maybe it humanizes him in some way. But also, it like, I don't know, you're just not diminishes as cool a character. Him, it, yeah, dimi- that's the right word. It diminishes him. Diminish, right. yeah. yeah, entirely. And I think, you know, uh, reading into the religion view of this movie, you know, that I think is a journey that the Wachowskis may have been on and, and really wrote into there, you know, how, how faith can be shaken, you know, even for the most stalwart. Uh, of believers, because I think there was what, what four or five years in the process of making all three of these movies, and I I really feel like I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily relig- religious, but there's some philosophical change. Yeah. And the the, cre- the creatives behind the process, it feels like there was some philosophical change because the storylines changed, changed so dramatically. So yeah. Right. It feels like whoever was creating these stories, there was something going on in their minds that was shifting because it changed the story, and this is such a philosophically driven story that. It's probably reflecting people behind the scenes. And you know, my kind of my last pan is you know that to me with all these themes and all these tra- transitions in story, you know, we kind of lose sight of the story in general. You know, we have these action scenes that are phenomenal to watch, but then they're interspersed with these moments of introspection that we don't really get to spend as much time with. Mm-hmm. And you feel like it's just on to the next thing instead of really seeing something go kind of to a conclusion that I think would be fulfilling, similar to what we saw in the, the first movie. I, th- I think that, I mean, along those lines, I think the things, all the, all that we should have seen in Zion was the scene where Carrie and Moss and Keanu Reeves get off the elevator. Mm-hmm. And there's that whole crew of people like, treating him like a messiah, worshiping right. him and touch my child, Neo, my child. And we should have seen the part of Zion that didn't believe what Morpheus believed and was pushing back. Yeah. I think that's all we needed to see. And then yeah. it should have just been the focus on the battle in the Matrix. Right. And even, and even if, even if you're going to change the story and have them bringing you know, balance to the Force or the Matrix, whatever, <laughs> um, then we should have focused, kept our focus there. But like you're talking about like you know, losing track of the story. We absolutely did. I mean, a lot of it was the Zion time, but not just that. Um, too, much, too much time with the Merovingian. Too much time yeah. with the, the key master. Um, or or my or I went to Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I did it a few times. But so you're right. We, we completely lose the story. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got the computer out uh, to uh, load a fireplace so we could hang some awards on when we return. <laughs> Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. 
Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. And welcome back. Uh, we are ready to talk some awards. And as our listeners know, th- this could be sometimes a, a, the most interesting part of what we talk about because we have very different views. And I got a feeling that's going to pay off here also. Uh, just through this discussion um, with our fans and fans, I'm interested to see where we go with this. So we're going to be starting out with best performance. So I'm really interested to see where you gentlemen go with this. So um, who, which of you would like to take this first? I'll go first. I think there's a lot of options here. And I, I'm actually expecting three different answers this okay. time. I, I, I've told you all before I try to guess what you all are going to say. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm going to go with Carrie Ann Moss on this one. Because um, the, the whole the – whole, like, feel of this movie is this cold, austere, especially when, when in The Matrix. Everybody is this cold and cool and, you know, there's this, you know, facade that ne- never breaks. Except when Carrie Ann Moss does it. I, I absolutely just buy it. Every, every, like, uh, quiet emotional moment from her, I absolutely buy. Yeah. And she can do it with just a look toward Keanu Reeves. And it's just a, I mean, it's just such a subtle performance, but it's a really powerful one, too. Okay. Um... I've waffled back and forth with uh, with my uh, best performance because, like like you said, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of really strong performances here, and uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Lawrence Fishburne just because he really went out there. Uh, he really had to show his faith. He really had to confront the people, uh, you know, from his past. He had to confront his his beliefs. He had to, you know speak to the city as it were you know and and you see him with the booming voice as you know in the in the just he he got to flex yeah. he he got to flex some muscle here so i'm i'm going with larry fishburne all right um so once again i, I think jamie's right in that we're all going in three different places <laughs> i thought so um my best performance honestly was hugo weaving Really, and I know he was over the top, but I just I loved I loved the character of Agent Smith. I loved the way that that he was over the top because, like I said, I saw it as you know this guy slash program that that is just kind of going over the edge. He doesn't know what to even think anymore, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think he came across to me as, as just a that was a, just a great performance, but. You know, I think Hugo Weaving's awesome. So, <laughs> See, I just I had trouble buying it because it was such a different performance than the first movie. Right. right. Yeah. And I I had, I had trouble accepting it. Yeah. If the movie had told me explicitly, like being disconnected has made him crazy. I'd have rolled with it. Yeah. But I just it was just so different. But right. when we left the first movie, he was you know disintegrating. Yeah. As, as soon as and then we come back here and he, you know, knocks on the door. You know. Mister Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Okay, next we have best scene, Jamie. Okay, um, I've got a weird one. I know, I know the right answer is probably the freeway fight, um, but it's not my favorite scene. Um, so maybe I'm cheating here, not giving best and going with favorite. Um, but it's the moment when they're, they're running away from the ship that's been downed. 
and the squids are coming after him and Neo just stops and turns back and it's kind of like the hallway scene in the first movie when he realizes he's the one and he turns and he stops all the bullets except he was in the Matrix then he's in the real world now and he turns and he stops almost his exact same hand motion he stops all the squids I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not the right term but <laughs> I heard him called that once and I just rolled with it yeah. um, so he, he stops the squids and destroys them in midair but he's outside the Matrix and I think that 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 difference, that, so that it, it's a ref, it reflects like an echoing of the scene from the first movie, but it's in the change of, of context. Yeah, it's so just intriguing and just powerful, and then they don't do much with it after that. But the scene, <laughs> it's the it's a great scene. Right. Well, I'm going to go next because Jamie, you named mine. It's the freeway battle. Yeah, it's uh, probably I, the right I answer. Love, I love the freeway <laughs> fight. Uh, you know, from from the moment that they that they go and he's talking to to Link and Link says, "Sir, you told me the freeways suicide Link." What I tell you, and they just go out there and it's just insanity. Yeah, yeah on there. You know, I went a totally different way with this, <laughs> and I'm going to be honest. I went back and forth and back and forth. There were so many scenes that I was like, "Man, I really love this." I loved, you know, the the battles between Neo and, and Smith. You know, th- those, but then sometimes the CGI pulled me out of those. It looked a little bit like, you know, PlayStation cutscenes, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was like, I don't know. But what really I did enjoy, uh, as far as to me, best scene, you know, was just this simple little scene where the hammer is, you know, the ship is being driven through these mechanical ducts by Captain Naomi. Just the interaction between her and Morpheus, uh, the squiddies in behind coming up on them. People are firing. It, it kind of goes to Dwayne's big ships and space battles type of thing, <laughs> but it's in, in, in mechanical duct, and everybody's like, "That can't happen." And, and or even just the little bits of humor. I didn't even know this ship could do that. You know, I love that scene. You Speaking know. of like, it kind of reminds me of our, our last episode. It's kind of like the castle run of, of the Matrix. Uh, yeah, yep, truly, it is. truly, truly. Yeah. All right, so uh, our next one is best quote, and Dwayne's got his hand raised. Go ahead. You can go first. Getting to my insane Agent Smith. Uh, <laughs> I love when he's when he's fighting uh, Keanu, and then, the, and then when Keanu leaves, the agents show up, the actual agents show up, and... Uh, the agent looks at Smith and says, you. And Smith jams his hand into his chest and, and morphs him into a duplicate of Agent Smith. And he says, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that is my absolute favorite line ever. Okay, I'm going to bring up comic books. So, Dwayne, you can, you, can, you can tune us out again. So, did you get a Jamie Madrix vibe? Yes. Off of Agent Smith here? Yes. And like he's learning stuff that people mm-hmm. he's absorbing? Okay, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that was it. That was my quote. That's my, okay. I, I just love that how he just took the guy over and was like, "You, me too." <laughs> right, so my, mine's another like um, unexpected one. Um, so mine is uh, one of the things that once again, like Carrie and Moss, I think, just stole these movies. So I've got a Trinity quote here. Okay. And it's it's the scene where um, she's she's talking to Neo and she says, six hours ago, I was ready to give my life for you." Do you know what has changed in the last six hours? Nothing. I mean, nothing could change for her. And so um, I just, that, that relationship for me is what holds these movies together and makes them feel like a trilogy. And so I just, that, that, that little quiet moment about their relationship, I just, it, I don't know, I'm a softie. It got to me. I like it. 
Um, you know, once again, I went back and forth, you know, especially with, with two movies this time, you know, you'll watch one and go, wow, I really like that. And then you'll hear something else. Then you watch the next movie and go, oh, I like that too. And you're going back and forth and you're trying to figure out what I think when we say best quote. And I think it, for me, it was just very subtle at the end from the Oracle. I didn't know. I believed. So mm. this this all-seeing oracle who's been played up through the whole thing as knowing what will happen just says, I didn't know, but I believed. So that idea of faith, and I yeah. thought that was important. Well, that's neat. I know we've talked a lot about these movies being bloated and really you know drawn out with things, but there's some great lines. Mm-hmm. There's, some, there's some really strong dialogue throughout. Kind of sprinkled, but throughout. Yeah, I don't think the dialogue is necessarily the problem. It's not where the bloat is. No. It's, I mean, there's there's some extraneous storylines that didn't really yeah. need to be there. But it's really the action scenes that just go on too long. I think it, part of it was like, we developed even more technology. Look what we can do. Right. Yeah. And they just let it go on too far. And it just, well, not, not just too far, too long. Um, so, um, my favorite character is our next one. And I got a, I got a question. Uh, Sammy brought up uh, uh, mythology earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not my favorite character, but we're going to get there. You mentioned Morpheus and his yes. sort of role. In, um, Persephone mm-hmm. was the Merovingian's wife's name. Yes. Did you get kind of a Cassandra vibe mm-hmm. off of the Oracle? Mm-hmm. I just I was just yes. wondering. I, but it played out differently in the end. Yeah. So you, there's a lot of that once again sprinkled throughout this yeah. movie, just different themes and ideas. Okay. You you brought it up. I was wondering yeah. if you if you had thought about that. I mean, but mm-hmm. um, I'm super rusty on my mythology. Cassandra doesn't survive, though, does she? But this this Cassandra does. Yes. And she's one of the few that actually make it through. Well, yeah. e- even thinking being there, you know, that of the Oracle, you know, the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah. You know, and bringing those types of ideas. So there's definitely some some you know Greco-Roman kind of mythology, you know, kind of laced in through this also even with the names like Persephone and you know e- even though I know he's not the Merovingian feels like he should be somewhere in mythology yeah. so right yeah it's a strange name I should have looked that up I didn't think I didn't think of it. it is a unique name I don't yeah. know the, What's the origin the Merovingian it. yeah um, it is uh, I looked it up at one point it's been a long time ago but there was a, a reference in like medieval times to the Merovingian and he's kind of a kind of an uh, architect, kind of a tinkerer and player in roles and things. He's just kind of a, a, a guy who kind of works under the tables. He, he kind of is very uh, almost like a Machiavellian yeah, type of character, I think. Yeah. Anyway, what made me think of that is my favorite character is Morpheus. Um, <laughs> and, you, and you had brought up the mythology connection there earlier, right. so I just laid me down a tangent. Sorry about that, guys. But um, I just. I, I love Morpheus. I love him especially in the first movie. But that guy's still here for most of these movies. Yeah. And and the way Lawrence Fishburne plays when Morpheus gets shattered, um, that that moment where his faith isn't true anymore, um, it's such a believable believable performance. And you kind of feel for him because I mean his conviction had carried everybody along. It was strong enough to carry the whole crew of that ship. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly it's gone, and it's just you. F- I, I, I felt with Lawrence Fishburne as he was acting those scenes, and I just I, I loved that. Um, and you know, it's I'm I, I'm a I'm a man of faith in a in a culture that's growing more secular, 
And I kind of identify with Morpheus because, I mean, not most of the people in Zion don't believe what he believes. Right. And I just kind of identified with him, but that seeing that, that faith get shattered was, I don't know, it was just, it was a powerful character and performance. Sammy, who's your favorite right. Um Well, I, I, you know, in some ways, I guess I tip my hand. Um, you know, my, my best performance was, was Hugo Weaving. He's also my favorite character. But he, and, but like I said, I mean, that comes from the first movie. It comes from Hugo Weaving just as an actor in general, you know, whether it be, you know, the Red Skull or even you talked about V for Vendetta, uh, you know, just him as an actor, you know, I mean, and Elrond, I mean, he will always be Elrond to me, but you know, I just like him and I like the way he comes across. I love the cadence of his voice and as this character and, you know, we'll, I'll talk a little bit in the next one about how, how I feel about him also. But, uh, like I said, uh, and part of this is just because where the story does go off the rails. some that, but yeah. to me, he's continue, continue to be a strong character. Okay. Um, I'm going to echo Sam exactly. I loved, uh, <laughs> I loved uh, Agent Smith. He was he was my favorite character, and I think it's great that we've all picked characters, uh, you know, that were established in the original, um, and you know, even with Agent Smith's change in uh, in this m- movies, uh, you know, though their performances and what they represented on screen are so dynamic and steadfast there. Um, Okay, boys and girls, it's time for a history lesson. The Merovingian dynasty was a ruling family of the Franks from the middle of the 5th century until 751. They first appear as kings of the Franks in Roman army of northern Gaul by 509. They had united all the Franks and northern Gaulish Romans under their rule. Hmm. Class dismissed. (laughs) Sam... Now we're thinking again. <laughs> What's a concept that didn't work for you? Uh, you know, a concept that did not work is just going from the first movie into these. We didn't get a payoff for what I thought should have been the big bad, so to speak. It was Neo versus the Matrix. To me, no, even though I love Agent Smith, the architect should have been the primary villain. You know, the the antagonist type of character. Mm. And we see him, we get an idea about him juxtaposed with the Oracle, but we get a little bit of him and Neo, but it doesn't pay off for me because where the themes change and the, and the whole story changes in terms of the, I guess, the motivation, it just doesn't pay off what I think based on the first movie it should be. Yeah. Um, my, mine's a simple one. Um, so they set up Superman Neo at the end of the first movie because there was no plan for a sequel. And then they had no idea what to do with that. Right. They had built up this, this power set that they really didn't know what to do with. And you, it just kind of flies around real fast a couple of times. But they built him up as this superpowered messiah that they didn't know what to do with and just didn't know how to play with it. And it just, like, it, it was a little big letdown. And my concept, it didn't work. I was not a fan of – they didn't go anywhere really with Agent Smith. Uh, you know, just what they did with that. I, you know, like Sam was talking about, like with the big bad. There just wasn't any payoff there at all. Um, you know, the architect was not well paid off. I just – yeah, that that is where I'm going with that. And I, I agree with you guys. And that architect, that's a, that's a promising concept that they just didn't do enough with. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. All right, so on the other hand, let's go positive on that. So Strange's concept that did pay off. It did work. Um, okay, I've got a weird one. Um, it, it kind of worked, but they didn't do enough with it. Um, Bane. Um, that guy did a better Hugo Weaving impression in this movie than Hugo Weaving did. <laughs> that guy was playing Agent Smith from the first movie. Right. Hugo Weaving wasn't. Right. And I don't know who that dude is. That was an amazing performance. He had the vocal cadences uh-huh. down. I mean, mm-hmm. the facial expressions, the the strain. I mean, Hugo Weaving has a unique sort of way he even moves his head, his yeah. shoulders. That guy had it perfect. Mm-hmm. And there was so much they could have done with that. If you're gonna like bloat stuff, bloat that. And it was just this amazing concept. Like Agent Smith got out into the real world. A program now has a physical body. That was an amazing idea. Now, they didn't do enough with it, but that idea works, and I would right. love to have seen more done with it. That, but that, that performance, though, man. Samuel, what you got? All right. So so this is kind of funny because Dwayne didn't feel that, that Smith paid off. Well, because of my thing that did not pay off, the Oracle – and or, I mean, the Architect – it wasn't the main antagonist. We had to have a main antagonist. What I think did pay off, even though it was strange, was that you know I love the idea of the foil, you know, and I think Agent Smith becomes the perfect foil for Neo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love that idea. You know, for to me, every great hero or, or needs that that opposite. You know, Batman has the Joker. You know, Superman has Lex Luthor. The Doctor has the Master. You know, we've got these perfect foils within fiction, with fictional characters. And I think Smith becomes the perfect foil for Neo. Like I said, it's the one versus the many. It's, you know, the, this, the, the person or the program that wants to do good versus the person or the program that just wants to burn it all down, you know, and start all over again. And so to me, that paid off. See, I think if I had been sitting beside Sammy when I watched this movie, Sandra, I would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, <laughs> changing my mind. Yeah, because all the things that annoyed me, Sam, hey, Sammy had a different angle on him. So it's like, man, maybe it's not so bad. You know, I don't know. So we're talking, we're talking is, about guys a nerd movie night or something? This, this is why I waffled on my grade. So. Yeah, yeah, Sam, uh, and, and I always have enjoyed your, your take and your view on these things. And, and uh, I love being challenged to change my mind. And you, you really bring some of those things great. Um, my thing that paid off is not really anything that necessarily happened directly on screen. Um, aside from like the integration of the Merovingian and some of his things, which really wasn't as well executed as could be, but I loved how they tried to integrate the mythology. And even across the board, you know, in, in larger areas, uh, in con- concepts in the, in the films. You know, just, just the integration of, of mythology and, and history, I thought was really neat. I think if they had picked one of those two encounters with the Merovingian, it would have been stronger. Mm-hmm. I think by repeating it, yeah. I, I, don't, I think it weakened it somehow. It was just too much and too much repetition. Yeah. And so if we just had one encounter, maybe that first one would have been enough. Would have been enough. Yeah. And he would have been that been that one little moment that really stuck out, like that kind of scene stealing 
moment, I, he would have had that. You did have a, a, a bit much, like you said, like backtracking. Uh, my, my kids are going through the Zelda games uh, right now, and, you know, there's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of going back and forth to get items, and, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking of here. It's almost like they recorded a video game. There's just so much backtracking and getting to the next quest. you got to get this so you can get there. you got to get this, right. get the key so you can open the door, and you got to get the power off so you can get in the building. you got to... You know, you got this window and time frame, and you, know, you got to learn how to ride a motorcycle. You got to shoot and jump. You know, it it felt almost like playing a video game. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Sammy mentioned earlier about like some of the CGI yeah. looking like cutscenes. There's yeah. some rough There's CGI. There's some rough CGI, and this yeah. is early 2000s. Yes. But man, I mean, they had Matrix money, guys. Yeah, they had Matrix money, and they had, you know, like Lucas had changed the way filmmaking has happened. How many movies since have we seen Bullet Time or these slow-motion action sequences? It's everywhere, and this is, you know, where you first see that. You know, like Star Wars was the first place you see these frenetic space battles. This is the first place you see this really neat, cool action, wire work, you know. But, you know, what's really funny, just to tell on to that, is that, even it was the the people, it was the humans that they still could not get looking correct. Uh-huh. If you look at the formation of all the squiddies during that yeah. battle at the dock, that looked amazing. And with the drills really drawn. Yeah, yeah, I mean that was phenomenal really looking. Yeah. The ships themselves were phenomenal looking. It was just those scenes. There were even scenes that, and I, I don't know, it, you know, at this point, I don't think these movies were meant for HD. Because you can tell that that's not even Keanu Reeves. That's a stunt double. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even look like Keanu Reeves at some points. You know, you're like, that's not him. <laughs> and that's not even CG. That You can just tell that's a different person. And what really cracked me up along those lines is that last fight between Smith and Keanu. You look at the crowd of Smiths, they're not even all the same height. They're not even all the same <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was noticing that too. I was, I was going to bring that up. Thank you, Jamie, for that. But yeah, th- There was there different hairlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. di- different points in the program. Yeah. All right, so we're wrapping up awards, but real quickly, Morpheus finds you. He's talking to you about the Matrix. Red pill or blue pill? Sammy? Uh, red pill. Dwayne? I'm a molder. The truth is out there. <laughs> Dwayne? As, as much as I want to say I would be the hero and go with the red pill... I'm a wiener. <laughs> I like I like my comfort a little much. Um, that that would be something, you know. It, I would like to think I could be the Han Solo, and you know, could be the hero. But God, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a Joey Pants from the first movie. Put me back in. <laughs> you know, I know this steak isn't really steak. <laughs> I'm a red pill guy. Um, e- even if I go to Zion and never go back to do any heroing. Like, I, I want the truth. Yeah. Tell me what's true. And that is such a neat, and that's one of the things I truly love about all three Matrix movies, the Animatrix, and I hope they explore more with the Matrix 4, is this concept of what is reality. It's what your brain is telling you is real. Right. It's what your brain is telling you to feel. You know, it's your perception. It's your it's your viewpoint. You know, um What's what's really red? What's really blue? What's really green? You know, it's it's all reflections of sunlight filtered through our atmosphere off clouds from an object. Well, you know, and and scientists do believe that those are different for every one of us. Yeah. You know, pizza may taste like one thing to me, but something else to you. Except for bacon. Except everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <loves bacon. laughs> 
<laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, next up is normally our Keanu connection. Oh, hold, on, hold on. I've got it. I've got You've one. You've got the Keanu connection? I've got okay. a connection. I was wondering if you would be able to pull it out this week. I've got a Keanu connection. Um, okay. So Lawrence Fishburne was in The Matrix with Keanu Reeves, and mm-hmm. he's in these movies as well. All right. Also, Keanu's in this movie. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, what's messed up, though, I just died. is I, I actually spent a whole bunch of time on this, trying to do something creative and clever, and then just gave up. <laughs> I should have just said, like, Keanu's in this movie. What am I doing? I'm wasting hours doing this. <laughs> that was great. And to save uh, to save you guys a little bit of time, wondering where this Keanu connection come from. Now, I know there's been some inquiry into that here recently. Uh, as as me and Jamie started off recording the podcast, you know, the Matrix was our first ever podcast we were able to publish. <laughs> you know, uh, and as much of a, of a train wreck as it is, and I think if you go back and listen and really track it out, you're, we're missing like the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in our discussion. It disappeared. I don't know. Yeah, at we don't at know that what point, uh, we were going a lot more like scene by scene, section by section. And uh, a few movies later, we had uh, Hot Fuzz and Point Break is yeah. in there with Keanu. And then yeah. there was another mention in another podcast. So I, I mentioned to Jamie, look, we, we've got Keanu in like three of our four first podcasts. Yeah. We, 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 he just kept coming up. And then like I, there's, a, there's another podcast I listen to that does a Stallone connection. And I thought, well, they keep bringing up Stallone. I'm like, we keep bringing up Keanu. Hush, I don't want to pay him royalties. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Intellectual property. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Keanu, Keanu's better than Stallone anyway. Um, but like, I don't know. It just, and it just, it, was, and it became like a challenge for me to find some way to keep that going. Mm-hmm. You know, to keep connecting Keanu to everything, and um, and we beat the world to the punch. Now, now the whole world. Is on the same boat with us. Yeah, we've we've been loving Keanu for a little over a year now. And the Keanu-sans? is that what the Keanu-sans. I like it. Yeah. I like it. The Keanu-sans. Well, obviously Keanu's better than Stallone because you both know how I feel about Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, so now it's time for our last big segment, keeping it one hundred. It's time for us to give each other and our listeners quests to go on. One hundred. Who's ready? I'm up. Okay, Sammy. All right. One, two, three, go. All right, so this week I am actually recommending another podcast, okay? Okay. And so um, obviously, as some listeners know, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. So David Tennant does a podcast. Uh, David Tennant now records his own his podcast. Uh, it's a great Q&A format. It's him, a variety of guests. So imagine David Tennant and that wonderful Scottish brogue sitting down for an entire season <laughs> one talking to people like Tina Fey and James Corden, Jennifer Garner, John Hamm, Ian McKellen, as well as the 13th Doctor herself, Jodie Whittaker. So, you know, David Tennant does a podcast, and it's not just talking about the stars. It's their real lives. Jennifer Garner talks about moving from Texas to Huntington, West Virginia, and what that was like growing up and changing. Uh, John Hamm talks about, you know, growing up in a time before social media. So it was, they're interesting and in-depth. So check this out. Like I said, it's an in-depth podcast. And like I said, it's David Tennant. <laughs> Alonzi. 
I bet David Tennant having an extended conversation with Ian McKellen is fascinating. Great. That would be great. It was a great episode. Yeah, the, li- the list of people you gave me, that's yeah. the one that jumped out to me. So the whole season one is already available. So season one is already finished, and I kind of caught, caught it in the middle, so I've been going back and playing catch-up. Dwayne, three, two, one, go. My keeping 100 is Blade Runner. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I had to actually plan this uh, a little bit earlier in the week uh, just because of the, the content of the movie is so similar to The Matrix. You're looking at these same concepts of what is real, what makes a person a person. Uh, taken from the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, translated to screen after not reading the novel by Ridley Scott. A lot of things changed there, uh, starring, you know, and released in 1982, starring a complete 80s cast. Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, Edward James Almos, um, Emmett Walsh, Daryl Hannah, William Sanderson. I mean, this thing is thick with 80s, and it's a beautiful, gorgeous movie with some beautiful, gorgeous concepts. And there's multiple versions. You have the theatrical release. You have a director's cut. You have extended versions. So I've, I've enjoyed many of those uh, in, in different ways. And it's a beautiful, fun, thoughtful movie, Blade Runner. All right. Question, though. Yes. Voiceover or no voiceover? What do you voiceover. prefer? You prefer the voiceover? I prefer the voiceover. I prefer the voiceover. I am. I. Th- I think this movie at heart is a kind of a noir. Did you see it first with the voiceover? Um, I honestly don't remember. Okay. Um, I, I seen it on TV quite a while back, and I honestly, I don't even know if I seen the beginning of the movie the first time I seen the movie. I think I was. I think it was one of those things where I was either coming through the house and Dad was watching, or we were flipping through and it was on. You know, um, like TBS or WGN or, or, or one of those kind yeah. of things, and, and then I got more into it as I grew. But uh, I, I do enjoy the voiceover. It, it, it adds, uh, you know, it adds a bit of backstory that I think is very helpful. Okay, Jamie, three, two, one, go. Okay, mine is uh, simple. It's the Highwayman. It's the uh, it's the movie on. It's a Netflix movie um, starring Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. They're playing old, retired Texas Rangers trying to tra- track down Bonnie and Clyde. And it is masterfully performed. Um, it, I, I know it's a Netflix movie and not a theatrical release. It's as good as Kevin Costner has ever acted. Um, Kathy Bates is in this movie, and she's amazing. It's a small role, but it's Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates, and all over the place. No, it's yeah, she's great. Um, and it's just, there's a, a, a tone and a mood set for the whole movie. Um you really believe you're in an old Texas thing. Like sort of you feel like you're like you're transitioning from the old West into modern Texas mm-hmm. type feel. And I love the way they show like Bonnie and Clyde were not, you know, anti heroes. They're bad, bad people. Yeah. And and there's just it's just a fun movie. It's a little long and I like a slow movie, but if you don't like a slow movie, there's a part that's gonna feel a little bit draggy to you. Mm. But it's a great movie and it's well worth everybody's time. Great. That yeah. uh, sounds like it'd be a, a lot to you. I've heard mixed things about that. I've I've not dug into it simply for that fact that I've heard that I've heard a lot of mixed. I like it a lot. On it. I liked it. I I watched it not too long ago. I think over the summer I watched it, and I yeah. really enjoyed it. Hmm. Well, that's that's neat. So the the, pa- the pacing is not your normal sort of modern movie. 
Um, right. It feels more like a maybe like a late seventies type yeah. paced oh, movie. Oh, it nice. does. I, I like a good odd paced movie because yeah, yeah it, things don't need to be pop 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 all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what it does is is and we've talked about this before. You know, in so many movies, you've got almost the coincidence and everything just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, because of that, and this kind of shows you almost what it's like to really, in a manhunt, the starts and stops that you have. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of the coincidences and things just happening from that, in 1977, a movie was released called Star Wars. And since then, all of these things have happened. Our next quest is going to be diving well, the Force into asleep. the sequels. And apparently between 1983 <laughs> and 2012, the Force must have dozed off and hit the snooze button one too many times. The worst force is a drowsy force. <laughs> so in uh, The Force Awakens is our next quest, episode seven. So if you guys would like to revisit that, um, coming up on one of our next movie review episodes. And for, and for the listeners, I would say, if you only watch this in theaters and haven't revisited it, it's a different movie on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. I, I would recommend Rewatching it before the next episode is released. Yeah, it it, it really is. It's 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 different uh, when you have time to revisit yeah. these characters. Um, so, guys, uh, I appreciate you all for listening. Really, uh, really, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the interaction on Facebook and our Instagram at Nerds of the Roundtable Podcast. There uh, and the hypothetical conversations on uh, roundtablenerds at gmail.com. Yeah, that, that could be happening. Um, they, they, those must be happening in the Matrix, Jamie. Oh, apparently I'm not plugged in. <laughs> <We're> not plugged- <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys took the red pill. <laughs> and that was Nerds of the Roundtable. Keep it nerdy.